Hello, friends, and welcome back to the Midpacker Pod. I am super grateful to have the opportunity to sit down with Doug Mayer today to discuss his new book, The Race to Change Running, the inside story of UTMB. We discuss at length the humble beginnings of the race that has become one of the largest ultras on the planet. We touch on the Ironman acquisition and the reasoning behind the partnership from the founders, Catherine and Michelle Paletti's point of view. We also talk through some of the changes that have been made over the years by the UTMB organization in response to the ever-changing trail and ultra-running landscape. This conversation opened my eyes to the why behind the UTMB founders and what their motivations and values are in regards to this sport that we love so much. I hope you find value as I did in this conversation. And if any of this intrigues you, pick up a copy of the book. It's a fantastic read. Now, let's get to my conversation with Doug Mayer. Before we get to the show, I want to shout out our sponsors. A big thanks to our title sponsor, Vacation Races. Vacation Races hosts epic half marathon and ultra marathons that take place in national parks all over the country. Can you imagine running through stunning landscapes while pushing your limits in places like Zion, Yosemite, or Bryce Canyon? They also organize week-long running adventures around the world. We're talking about running in jaw-dropping locations and experiencing the thrill of exploration. From Alaska to, to Costa Rica, Croatia to Japan, they've got 11 different destinations lined up. For the super adventurous, there is even a super secret destination where you won't even know where you're going until you get to the airport. How crazy is that? They've got something for everyone. You don't have to worry about your pace. All you have to do is maintain a 20-minute mile. So as long as you keep moving with purpose, you're good to go. It's all about enjoying the journey and soaking in the incredible scenery. These trips feature daily 7 to 12K trail runs in the morning and then a ton of awesome activities in the afternoon. Think glacier treks, zip lining, whitewater rafting, wine tasting, falconry, historic tours, cooking classes, you name it. They've thought of everything to make sure that you have the time of your lives. Best of all, these adventures are all-inclusive. Yep, that means everything is covered. Hotels, in-destination transportation, meals, drinks, activities, and even some sweet swag. Vacation Races just released their full 2024 calendar and are offering a discount for Midpacker Pod listeners. Use code FREETRAIL200 and get $200 off any global adventures trip that's not already sold out. Not ready to commit to a full-on global adventure? Don't worry. Use code FREETRAIL15 and you can get 15% off any half marathon or ultra marathon that isn't sold out. It's the perfect way to dip your toes into the vacation races experience. I'm super excited about this, this partnership, and I hope you are too. Check out vacationraces.com for more information. Also, a big thanks to Free Trail. If you're not a Free Trail Pro member, you are missing out. I love the Free Trail community and have been a member from the beginning. We all love trail culture. High fives during single track flybys with strangers on your Saturday long run. That feeling of acceptance and community that you only get at a trail race. Most of you, I'd guess, to say keep coming back to trail races because the community around this amazing sport is second to none. With the Free Trail Pro subscription, you can have access to that community everywhere you go. You get access to the Free Trail Slack community, training plans, weekly office hours that feature special guests, and so much more. The other week, we had a Q&A with none other than David Roach. From training and gear questions to seeing and getting inspiration from, from the epic adventures and races that members are doing, the Free Trail community is the place to be. 
Start your free trial today at freetrial.com. After that, it's only $96 a year for a membership. If you were a fan of all the content that Free Trail is putting out, that's a small price to pay to support some of the best written, visual, and audio content in our sport. Hope to see you in the Free Trail Slack community. And when you introduce yourself, mention the Midpacker Pod. All right, Doug Mayer, welcome to the Midpacker Podcast. Thanks. Uh, very nice to be here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, we're, you, you wrote this amazing book, right? And we're going to talk quite a bit about that. But I think before we get into it, you know, I would love to, to just figure out, you know, who is, who is Doug? How did Doug get into trail running? What launched this amazing, you know, this passion of yours? Because you're obviously really passionate about it. And, and over the years, you've like, crafted and curated a life around trail running, but ultimately, you know, where did it all begin for you? Yeah. And when we figure out who is Doug, um, that would be a great accomplishment by the <laughs> end of the show. <laughs> I would love to know. Um, uh, you know, for me, it actually started back in the White Mountains in New Hampshire, a wonderful place to trail run, very technical and very wild and fun. Um, I used to supervise trail crews. Uh, as a, a volunteer job, and I even in those days, uh, 25 years ago, I, I would run. Uh, I would take a few hours off in the middle of the day, working out, you know, working out of home, and I would, uh, you know, run in to see the trail crew. I had a few hours. I'd grab some Ben and Jerry's and I'd go run in and say hi to them, and uh, toss them some pints of ice cream and cheer them on and. And that was it. So in, in, in those days, you know, trail running for a lot of us, I'm old enough to have come from the world of trail running where it was sort of a, um, uh, an adjunct to other sports. So I was climbing and uh, backcountry skiing, telemark ski racing, doing a lot of things like that um, where trail running was a real benefit. And, you know, from there, honestly, it just kind of took over one, one step at a time. I, um, I started uh, a, a pretty high-pressured job at, in those days. I worked for National Public Radio years ago for a long time. And uh, I discovered that I was trail running for the mental component. You know, it was my form of meditation and a chance to relax and, and chill out. And it really kept me balanced. Um, from there, I had some uh, family connections to the Alps, and I would come over here climbing and then trail running. And I, I just, you know, I discovered the trail running here. The joke, well, it's not really a joke. It's sort of what happened. The reality is I would come over with a list of things I wanted to do in the trail running world here, and I would end the summer with a longer list. Uh, <laughs> so the the more I dug into it, people I'm sure can can relate to this. You know, it's sort of how we become passionate about something. The list gets bigger, right? Not smaller. Totally. So um, one led to another. I started organizing trips for friends, for friends of friends. Word got out. My job at NPR was uh, the hosts were retiring after many years. And I um, I found myself over here. I mean, sort of intentionally, sort of by accident. And started started run the Alps, the company. My I would say my main reason for being here, uh, we, you know, organizing trail running tours around the Alps, and there too, one thing led to another, and the next thing we knew, we had a real company, and 
were organizing tours and, um, you know, I was writing about the scene here as I was discovering it. And uh, there you go. <laughs> here I am in Chamonix now. <laughs> so it sounded like it's just a very natural progression of, of, you know, this is something I'm going to do because it's going to keep me fit and in shape for some of the other things I like to do. And then, you know, over time, it just, you were drawn to this, like what has now become the epicenter of, uh, of trail running and, and, and ultimately a lot of, of outdoor and endurance sports. Uh, I think that's really cool. And just like, so for the audience, I know, um, I was a big fan of the show. So, you know, you were, working with car talk. And I remember long days driving, listening to those guys. And, um, it sounds like a lot of fun and games, but I imagine design, but like you said, behind the scenes, you know, running, executing, developing, um, and putting out, uh, you know, a nationally send internationally likely syndicated radio show is probably, uh, can be very stressful at times. So, um, well, well first of all, condolences for having suffered through, uh, uh, many, <laughs> of car talk. So, uh, second of all, uh, yeah, I mean, look, it was a wonderful place to work. Uh, I mean, yeah. they all became dear friends and were like a family. But as anyone, as you know, you know, producing uh, a regular show has its production grinds. So, uh, you know, and, and, you know, all joking aside, we worked really hard to produce something NPR could be proud of every week. And that and that and that took a lot of work. So yep. anyway, <laughs> yeah. So trail yeah, running yeah, was I, my chill. Yeah, that was the outlet. Um, and that's really cool that, you know, it, at the end of the day, you just kind of aligned uh, your passion behind a vocation. And it sounded like it just kind of fell into place for you. And, um, you know, talk about some of the writing you were doing in Europe at the time. I mean, I know you, you've written for, for trail runner. I know you've written for a number of other periodicals, but did, did that, did those outlets just like naturally come to you as like, well, I'm here. I, I love to write. I'm just going to write and pitch. Or were these things that like people were asking for you or did you, did you kind of work this freelance angle into a lot of these publications? I have to say it was really purely organic. Um, I was over here having fun trail running around. You know, my background was in content with NPR and producing content and writing. I had I had been writing before for some mountaineering journals in the U.S. Um, and um, as I was discovering this world, you sort of want to share it, right? So I started writing articles for the Run the Alps website, and, and literally one of them got noticed. Um, uh, well, I guess what happened is I noticed uh, someone sign up for the blog who was at Trailrunner Magazine, and I dropped her a note. This is Yika Wynn, who many years ago was a wonderful editor there. And, um, uh, and one thing uh, led to another, and the next thing I knew, I was writing articles for them, you know, writing some fun stuff for I Run Far and those guys. Uh, and, you know, if you're passionate about something and it's fun and you happen to like to put yourself through the suffering of trying to write something that's halfway decent, um, you know, uh, it just kind of fell together. And, and, then, and then I, ha I did have sort of what I think of as my, my Forrest Gump, you know, uh, experience, which is I landed in Chamonix 
the gravity here, if you're a trail runner in Europe, in the Alps, there's this um, gravity that pulls you to Chamonix and for all kinds of reasons, not just UTMB. And um, I found myself here. And I found myself as one of the very few Americans here and someone who was writing about the scene. And, but with one foot in kind of each world. So I was, you know, speaking French each year, getting a little bit better, a little less embarrassing. Um, and, uh, and getting a chance to, you know, Chamonix is, is fundamentally in many ways a small town when you live here year round. So I got a chance to sit down with not just UTMB and, you know, ITRA folks, you know, International Trail Running Association and Marathon Mont Blanc and the big trail running club here, uh, you know, but, you know, others who were passing through, top athletes doing races. It, it just sort of naturally, you know, happened. I was, I wouldn't like, you know, I, I can't say that it was some, um, old strategic maneuver um it was just that i ended up here because the trail running gravity is enormous and and then um and then things just started to happen because i was the guy who was useful you know i could i could write for an american audience and and i enjoyed it and i was curious about the world here um so it, it kind of happened in many regards it's just on its own yeah, that's, that's just, right. that's really cool, honestly. And I, I love, I love kind of, there's a lot of those stories in trail running. There's a lot of those stories in, um, just in general as, as the sport is kind of growing and evolving. And it's really cool to be in a space where that organic, like natural progression of passion and, and, and vocation can kind of really align and not have, and not feel, I don't want to say like pressured or stressed, but like, like you said, when, when someone signs up for the blog and you look at the email handle and you're like, children, okay, wait a minute, let me just like drop a quick email here and see what, see what can happen. And, and it's, that's in yeah. my experience in business, I think some of the best business development that I've ever done is, has, has been almost serendipitous. And it's interesting how you can just kind of create those alignments and when they're right, they're right. And when it works, it, you know, it really, really does work. Yeah. So that, that's, that's definitely really cool. Yeah. So I, I totally, love, I mean, yeah, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Oh no, please. Yeah. Uh, just, I think serendipity, what we think of as serendipity sometimes is something, something in addition to serendipity, like we gravitate into activities and areas and it seems like serendipity, but in retrospect, it kind of makes sense that I ended up here. Yeah. So you put yourself, I think, I think we, I mean, at least this is my experience that consciously or unconsciously, I put, put myself into situations where things happen, <laughs> you know, I mean, I'm, I'm not a networking, I don't network. Like I don't, you know, I, it's been a long time since I've been to my, my, my LinkedIn account, you know? <laughs> so, um, you know, so things, uh, I think, I think we tend to put ourselves in situations where, where things organically happen. Yeah, I think yeah. that's what happened here. Um, that's it's 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 yeah. a great story, Doug. To be honest with you, um, we could probably spend the entire pod kind of un unpacking all the like all the little things that have just kind of transcribed to get to this moment. And we've kind of done a pretty good job of that. I think you know something I want to talk to you know really quickly before you know we jump into the book is just 
the amount of the amount of the just the amount of racing that you've done in um in Europe while you've been there i mean you know part of i think you know part of what i think lends you to being kind of the perfect person to kind of write this book is the experience you've had in Europe, but like you mentioned, your ability to kind of talk to an American audience because of, you know, the fact that, that you're American and you're still kind of tied to the American scene, but you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're not just a guy that's writing about UTMB, like correct me if I'm wrong, but like you've raced just about every distance that they have to offer. And and I know you've also completed, uh, you know, tour de Johns twice. So, you know, I don't know if you want to, talk through any of those experiences with, uh, with the audience before we dive into the book? Well, uh, you know, I'm, I'm not an elite runner. Like first let's, let's be perfectly clear about this. You know, you and me both. um, Okay. (laughs) You know, um, but I was drawn into the world here. It's so different from the U S not to say better or worse. Um, it's just a different experience here, trail running and trail racing. Um, and and um, I, I just found it intriguing. Uh, you know, you're in the Alps in this dramatic mountain setting with, um, you know, all kinds of remarkable terrain. You And here you have an, an enormous... Uh, wealth of variety you can do sky races where you'd better not step two steps to the right or that's going to be the end um and you can do vertical kilometers and this last weekend i did a little double vertical kilometer you know there was a local race with 60 people in it and you know swiss chocolate uh for the aid stations um you know there's there's a whole world of trail running here, and only a fraction of it um, crosses the Atlantic in the media. So people tend to think of European trail racing equaling UTMB, and that's absolutely not true. We, on the Run the Alps side, we have a list of we we main curate a list of races, and in the Alps alone, we ha- I mean we now have something like three or four hundred races listed there. It's crazy. Um, you know, you can you can race all weekend long from, you know, April through November uh, and pick your, you know, pick your event, you know, extreme sky races and, you know, flat races down in the valley. Every every village, almost every village in the Alps has a trail race up to typically up to uh, a mountain cabin often finishing with lunch, um, you know, wonderful little events. Um, and at the other extreme, you know, nobody does it bigger than Europe, man. You know, <laughs> you can you can be in 5,000 people at the start of Sierra Zinal in, in, you know, one of the world's most competitive races. And, and that's a remarkable feeling also. Or, of course, UTMB. Uh, so... You know, tra- trail running here is is mainstream. I would say that that's the fundamental difference. And because it's main, mainstream, uh, people react to you differently. Here in Chamonix, I would say on many days there are more trail runners than hikers. 
And, you know, today we had a wonderful spring day here. The sun is out. And in town, everybody's going around with with their trail running vests on. Um, And, uh, you know, you don't don't see that somewhere else. So if you're a trail runner, you you feel at home. (laughs) I do anyway. Yeah, Yeah, very much. And I feel like that's... um, you only kind of get that in a handful of, you know, there's small pockets in America. Obviously America's this, this big uh, country, but you know, you have your boulders and your flagstaffs and I'm based here in Asheville, North Carolina. Um, we have a big mountain biking scene here, but there's also like, you know, there's also a pretty established trail scene and there's just really good access. Right. And I think you kind of get that. Um, but I will say, you know, there are more hikers in the Blue Ridge Parkway on a daily basis than there are trail runners for sure. And I think that's a, it's an interesting cultural thing where you mentioned like trail, trail running is mainstream. Whereas I think in America, it's been like such this niche kind of avant-garde thing that is just now starting to catch up. And I think people are really starting to gravitate to the trails. You know, I think America's had like a, this robust road running heritage. And I think a lot of people find trail and realize like, well, what have I, I mean, I'm just, what I'm missing out on, but I also think it comes down, um, you know, to access as someone, I, I lived in Europe for a number of years, went to high school there. Um, my parents were department of defense uh, school teachers. I was in Germany, but I think, you know, even then I was introduced to a culture of like, people like to get out in the outdoors in Europe in general. Like it doesn't matter if you have mountains or just rolling, uh, rolling farm fields, like people, the access to, uh, nature, um, is something that I think, I don't want to say like people take for granted in Europe because they don't. It's just like a part of their culture is to actually go out and experience it and, um, you know, really kind of enjoy just the natural surroundings around them. And I think that kind of elevate, I believe that's probably part of what's like elevated trail running. I know for me, like I started off as a backpacker and it got to the point where like, I just couldn't disappear into the woods for seven days at a time or three days at a time. And I got into trail running because, man, I can get it all done in a day, you know, and I can go see things and I could experience the the world around me. Um, and I imagine there's kind of an interesting evolution there. Of course, I mean, Europe loves endurance sports, like way more than America loves endurance sports. So that's got to help. Right. Um, and, and here, you know, we don't have really the distinction between front country and back country in the Alps that you might have in the U S where you have you know, this is a designated wilderness. This is front country. You know, the towns are here. You know, here we treat this very differently. We don't, you know, there's so much human history here in the mountains that um, the mountains and the villages are more integrated. So heading off into the mountains or up to an alpage, a uh, high alp, a high pasture is um, it's much more routine. You know, it's much more an integrated thing in, into daily life. It's, I always joke, it's, um, you know, it's not uncommon to see, you know, 85 year olds, you know, in wildly technical places and they're just out for a walk, you know, <laughs> like that's typical here. It's just, it's right. just a different like, into the lifestyle. I, yeah, as like some, someone once said, Oh, go ahead. I was just saying in America, like you walk your dog around the block and in Europe, depending on where you are, you, you go back a you, you go back a, a, a 3000 meter peak and, and come home, you know? So. Yeah. So someone, I think, I think I'm properly attributing this to, to Megan Hicks. I'm not sure, 
But um, someone once said that in the U.S. we do have these wonderful places of mountain culture. You know, we we all know what they are. Um, you know, the Flagstaffs and the Boulders and and whatnot. Um, but here, mountain culture is the culture. So it's not unusual mm. to pick up the local newspaper and see on the front page who won this weekend's trail race. Um, you, you know, and it's not UTMB, but like Argent Trail or a trail race with, you know, uh, you know, a hundred people in it. Like that's the news. Wow. <laughs> yeah. so, so it's kind of yeah. steeped into, it, it's a, it's just a part of life is, is mount, mountain culture is a part of life. That's cool. That's really, really cool. And that yeah. kind of shows, and I, you know, we're going to dive into this when we start talking about the book, which I promise we'll get to here in a second. But, uh, you know, I think, um, it kind of shows with just when you look at the events, like, yes, they can do things on a larger scale. That's kind of part of the culture. Right. And the reason why you can get 2000 people on the start line of UTMB is because, you know, culturally they don't have, I mean, everyone is protecting the land. They don't necessarily have this need like we did in the U S to kind of preserve natural spaces and create limitations around, you know, how, how you can access them and how you can gather in those spaces because that's built into, it's already been kind of built into the culture where we had a, a situation in the United States where we're like, well, if we don't protect this, we'll lose it. And I think that's, I think that's also carried into what we can do here in America. You know, there's only a handful of places where you can see more than a couple hundred people on the start line at any given race. So. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I think these are both really interesting cases. You know, you can, dive into the whole wilderness ethic of it. Um, and, you know, one of the first really uh, heavy discussions I had with Michelle Poletti many years ago was on this exact topic. And, you know, Europeans over here recognize that ultra running, you know, in, you know, very much started in the U S and so they adore the U S for, for these reasons from Western States and Leadville and races like that. Um, you know, but they also, it's hard for them culturally to wrap their, their brains around the possibility, at least with some people, that, you know, well, why can't you have a race with 2,000 people? You know, and I always launch into my, you know, this is near and dear to my heart, the idea of there are certain places that we treat treat differently and we have a, val a set of values around the wilderness that are important. Uh, they're very important. Um, you know, but that that is a paradigm that, that it doesn't doesn't really work the same way over here because of the long human history in all of the valleys uh, so it's just a different it's just a different mindset that's all lastly i want to give a shout out to run trail life are you looking for the perfect tee to wear after your long run want to represent your love of the trails off the trails then check out Run Trail Life, the casual apparel company that lets you show off your love of trail and ultra running while giving back to ensure that everyone has access to the beauty of nature for generations to come. RTLTs are 100% organic cotton or made from recycled water bottles. And $1 from every purchase is donated 
to Runners for Public Lands, a not-for-profit whose mission is to advance the development of diverse, high-quality trails and greenways for the benefit of people and communities. I am super passionate about this company because I am the founder and solo entrepreneur behind it. So if you love the content, consider supporting me directly with a purchase. And if you use code MIDPACKERPOD, we will double the donation from your purchase to Runners for Public Lands. Visit RunTrailLife.com and live the Run Trail Life. Well, yeah, let's just go ahead and dive into it. So I've got, I got my copy right here. I appreciate this. Um, I'm putting it on, e- I'm, I'm going to wait a couple years and put it on eBay. Cause it was, uh, D- Doug was so nice as to like sign in, put a nice put personal note in there, but the race that changed running, right. The inside story of UTMB. And, you know, I haven't had a chance to read all of it, but I've been thumbing through it and, you know, I've read a couple different sections and man, Doug, it's a, this is a really, really, really good book. And I'm not just saying that because you're on my podcast and we're here to talk about your book. Like <laughs> I just, you know, you've done a really good job of just kind of, articulating a lot of different things, um, kind of encompassing a lot of sentiments. Um, you know, you're, you've obviously written this, you know, it's, it's published in English. It's written for an American audience. It's written, um, for people to really understand, like, how did this thing go from an idea 20 years ago to like really the pinnacle of the sport? Um, and you know, I, I just, I, I think you've, I think you've taken a lot of information and it shows that you did a lot of work, man, to get, to get, to, to get to this right here. You did a lot of work and I, I can, it, it, it shows just by reading a couple sections, but you know, what, why, why this book and why now, you know, what, what, what really kind of, um, kind of put the muse in you, uh, and, and, and gave you, you know, the, the desire to kind of want to put this kind of effort into the world. Yeah, well, I would say most importantly, it was it was not just me. We had, I was a, lucky enough to work with a wonderful publisher, a really good editor who really pushed me uh, thoughtfully and and pretty hard in some areas, which was great. And two really good researchers um, and a partner in English Knowles who was wonderfully understanding. Uh, but it was an intense project. We did, um, I, I think, uh, you know, over 100 hours of interviews, um, you know, interviewed in depth over 50 people. And I did um, over 20 hours of interviews with, you know, Kat- with Catherine and Michelle Paletti, the sort of the key driving couple behind the race. And what drove it were was a couple of things really so for for many years i was doing interviews with the palettis for trail runner magazine you know when i was here and um i would always just ask them what was on my mind you know like we had a good enough relationship that i felt i could say you know michelle like you know what's the deal with prize money or you know what's the deal with the podium why did it take, um, from my American perspective, so long for things to change? And Rory Bazio to say enough is enough. You know, and I, I always found the answers to be very interesting. Um, I didn't always agree with them, but it did shine a light on their approach to the sport, their prior experience. I mean, they had deep prior experience that they brought to the table. 
um, which informed a lot of their choices. Uh, you know, critics like to think of it as a valueless money grab. And um, like, that's just not true. I mean, the, the facts just don't support that. And, you know, from the, from the very first edition of the race, the very first printed product, a brochure had a statement of values. So you can argue that the values are wrong or not what you would like. Um, and, and, and Killian and I talked about this during our interviews. It, um, or you can say that they've lost their way, but you can't say that they have not made a concerted effort to have values. Um, we can talk about that you know, some more. There's even a nonprofit that they started at the same time they started the for-profit company. But what drove me is that every time I was doing these interviews, I was learning something that I hadn't heard from anyone else. And, you know, sometimes it's as simple as asking. <laughs> uh, and I would ask, you know, and oftentimes I got very interesting answers. And, you know, whatever you think of UTMB, I think you'd be hard pressed to deny that it's not the world's most important trails trail race. So if we... If we acknowledge that, we have to care about what's happening and anything we can do to better understand each other is a, is a plus. Um, and, you know, here in Chamonix, I mean, this is, you know, this is a hotbed of trail running. <laughs> I mean, this is, this is like a melting pot, a catalyst. You know, you sit down at, you know, Moody Coffee Roasters to talk to, someone from a brand and the next thing you know, you're like, well, where do we get a videographer for that project? And, and it's like, Oh, there's so-and-so yeah. right behind, you know, <laughs> I mean, things are happening here. It's an right. amazing place to be amazing. It's having a moment in trail running. So even in Chamonix with UTMB down the street, there wasn't good clarity. And there was a lot of, um, a lot of, a lot of heat and not a lot of light. And, I, I so I, I was in this position of understanding some of the thinking, you know, even if I didn't always agree with it, I at least understood it. And, and hearing all of these, you know, people thought that there were Swiss bank accounts involved, secret Swiss bank accounts, and they were millionaires, and you know, and this and that and the other thing, and. You know, sometimes the facts are kind of inconvenient if they don't fit your idea of the story. Um, and, and that's what I was finding. And I just, more than anything, I wanted to just dig in and, and tell the story. You know, there's yeah. nothing more to be, that needs to be done than to just, because the story itself is really interesting. Not just individual stories and the stories from the race and the first crazy first edition and the stories through the years, but the story of, of UTMB as a business, as a family business. And, the, you know, some of it I think is quite surprising. So. Uh, yeah. And I, I think the, you know, one of the big takeaways that I saw, you know, in reading the book, um, in, in reading parts of the book is, you know, the Palettis were at, they're kind of, there's a juxtaposition, right. Is in that you can tell that they really do have values around trail and trail running. Um, they really do care about the sport. Um, but they also, you know, they also care about legacy. And I think they're seeing, they, they've built this, 
you know, they built something from nothing. They're entrepreneurs. And, but the, the juxtaposition is that like, they're trying to hold on to and, and as, uh, hold on, establish and preserve these, these values while they act, while they have an opportunity for scale. And, and if you're an entrepreneur and you're trying and you're, and your goal, right. And the goal of, of Michelle Paletti is like, I want UTMB to be the pinnacle of the sport. Well, like you're going to have to grow it. It's going to have to become, you know, relatively large, very popular. And I think, you know, something that I've dealt with myself in an entrepreneurial journey is like when you build a company and people know about it, they think that it's like huge and they don't realize that like there's 10 people behind the scenes, just like grinding every single day to make something out of nothing. And, uh, I think that's the perception a lot of people had, um, maybe in Europe. And I know definitely in the, in the United States is like, Oh, UTMB is this big, massive thing. Um, you know, we don't, I don't necessarily, we, we can talk about like the merger with Ironman, but like at the end of the day, you know, you're kind of in this position, they're, they're in this position as founders and they're saying like, I have a goal and I want to hold true to these values. And at the same time, like I want to create scale around this so that I can have something, uh, like I can leave a legacy and I can leave my mark kind of on trail running while doing, you know, our best to kind of preserve these values. And I think, you know, you brought up a really interesting point too, is that when they started, they have a for-profit organization that's job is to manage the race. And then they have a not-for-profit organization, which job is to make sure that, you know, Chamonix, the surrounding areas and, and the areas on the course, like stay preserved yeah. and, ha and, 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 and that beauty is still available for, for everyone. I think what most people don't see is they, they see, it's like, man, haters are going to hate. Right. So they see like all the bad, like you said, they see the narrative they want to see, but they're not quite, I don't think anyone's really seen the, the full picture. And I think the book does a really good job of kind of, of kind of articulating that in a way that's, that's kind of real and true and not, uh, you know, you're definitely not pulling any punches in the book. That's, that's, you know, that's for sure. So, um, um, yeah, I don't know if there, I don't know if I had a question in there, but I just, you know, based on, on what I was reading and, and kind of where, what we were discussing. So, yeah. Um, your values is one place to start. I think, um, totally. Killing makes a really good point in the book that, um, you know, we, we each choose the events we're going to take part in, um, you know, based on our values and, and our interests. He makes the point, I mean, obviously, and he says this, you know, UTMB meets enough of his values that he will take part in it. Of course, it has ancillary benefits for him. You know, if you're launching a brand, it's great to have all those cameras in front of you. But, you know, here's a guy of very, very high ethics in our sport. And, and, um, you know, he, he gives the example in the book of if a trail race was put on by total, the, uh, European gas company, you know, he, he's, he's not going to, he's not going to do that race. <laughs> totally. So we make the calculation on our own of whether we want to be there. I think what's important is that we, we, we understand, um, where they're coming from and not, jump to conclusions. You know, there have been, you know, recently, you know, decisions in the U.S. about, you know, you know, certain races where they're like, we're not going to take part in anything UTMB because of X, Y, Z. Well, I mean, I tend to think that if they knew, for example, the history of prize money, 
where they knew about this nonprofit that they formed, you know, and, the, you know, that they would have a little more understanding of the values that are informing the race. One, one thing I always joke about with the Pilates is that I do sort of feel that if UTMB was in the U.S., they would be sending out a press release every single week. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, like, I mean, how many people know that they fund trail work on the course? How many people know that, you know, they have a medical commission that has been around from the very beginning days of the race or that they raise half a million euros a year for different nonprofits? Um you know, or what, or, or the, you know, 14 euros from every race entry goes to support the association, which is all volunteers. Um, so, you know, I think, uh, in our, in our sort of PR crazy, you know, marketing us world, you know, they'd be like, okay, what's this week's press release? Okay. You're doing trail work over by Lake Contamine or in, in Italy, you know, Let's tell that story. You're getting volunteers out. You're getting, you know, 2,500 volunteers are organizing, you know. But that's kind of not, you know, that's a very American way of thinking about it. And they're very understated. And I, I don't think that has always served them all that well. Uh, so, you know, when you couple that with the fact that trail running was a soul sport, the people are deeply, understandably, myself included, deeply passionate about, and you have an organization that's pushing the sport in new directions, um, that can be threatening if you believe it's a zero-sum game. You know, if you believe that, you know, uh, more UTMB races around the world detracts from, you know the Randolph ramble where I'm a co-race director in Northern New Hampshire. Um, but I, I, I just don't believe that. Um, you know, I don't think the, the evidence bears that out. Uh, so, um, uh, so if you can be secure in the knowledge that they're growing in their own way and developing the sport in a certain direction, uh, but you, you know, great little funky races all around the world are going to continue. In the, in the end, as Killian points out, you know, I, I keep coming back to him because he has so many thoughtful things to say. Um, it comes down to us, you know, and the choices that, sure. that we want to make. Do we want to, you know, collect, you know, running stones to go to UTMB? I mean, I, I, I love it all. So I'm, I'm, I'm sort of dispassionate, you know, I don't, um, I love, I've run UTMB twice, it's an extremely special experience and, you know, a lot of weekends in the summer, I'll be in some tiny little race that, that, you know, very few people have heard of. Yeah. And I think that's, so I know we talked about it before too. And I think that's an interesting point is like in America, I think we just think if you're going to go run in Europe, you're going to toe the line with, with a thousand plus people, you're going to have a, a six minute mile start. It's just going to be this, like there's fanfare, you know, there's all this stuff that is UTMB because that's what we see. And that's what we feel like we know. Um, but it was definitely interesting for me to hear that, you know, you guys compile a list of 300 races and probably most of those races you'll, you know, you, you'll race with a hundred or less people. And I think it's interesting too, because I, I just finished, 
I just finished this hundred miler in North Carolina. Um, it's a grueling, brutal, ridiculous race. It's run by a not-for-profit. There was a hundred of us that started this, this race. Um, there's no stones, there's no Western States qualifier. There's no hard rock qualifier. Like, it's just like, we all just showed up to suffer together and really enjoy the mountains of, of the Blue Ridge mountains of North Carolina. Um, and then, you know, I can juxtapose that like, in September, I'm going to run Grindstone this year because I need a Western States qualifier. I want a Hard Rock qualifier. It's going to get me stones into UTMB. And last year I ran it and it was the last race before UTMB, you know, kind of acquired it as part of their series. And to be honest, I'm interested to go back and see like, well, what's changed? I already know there's going to be some massive changes because it used to be like one of those classic Americana grassroots ultras. And now it's going to be put on by one of the large, the, if not the largest race organizations in the world for trail and ultra running. Um, and I, like yeah. I said, I just want to go with kind of a novice mind and say like, well, what changed and what was changed for the good and what changed for the bad. And, and like going back to what you said about like about UTMB in general, it's like, and how it may or may not affect, you know, other races is like, man, going to Europe and living in Chamonix for a week to go run a race is an expensive proposition. And like, I'll be honest with you, if I get into UTMB next year, I'll probably have to decline it because there's, I'm not going to be able to afford to spend $7,000 to fly my whole family and live in, in Europe for a week to go run the race. And I think that's just like a luxury, um, that some of us have, but I think we also forget like you mentioned it's a soul sport. So like, not everyone is like, Oh, I want to go to Europe and run Chamonix. Like some people are like, like, like me for the next three weeks or four weeks. Like I'm just going out and enjoying running. Like I have no training. There's no training block. Like I'm doing nothing but soul running for the next four weeks. And that's ultimately what got me into the sport was I want to feel my breath and my feet and I want to feel the trail and I want to experience nature and I want to do it, you know, under my own power. And I think, Sometimes we kind of forget that, that that's at the root. That's kind of what it's all about. And, you know, I think yeah. like going back to the book, I think you've done, done a good job of highlighting that that's where, that's where the Pilettis come from as well. And like, that's their heritage and that's their roots with forming and starting UTMB. Yeah. I mean, let's, you know, Michelle Pilletti has run something like 80 to 90 ultras. I mean, I think he would be right there with you talking about, um, you know, the, the beating heart of trail running being getting out every day on the trails. Um, and his own history, you know, goes back, you know, he, he grew up in Chamonix and returned to Chamonix after, after college when the choice was, uh, after university, when the choice um, was, was Paris or coming back to Chamonix. And as, um, a friend of his newlywed, uh, Catherine, uh, said to Catherine, uh, well, your choice is obvious. It's antidepressants in Paris, or you go back to Chamonix and figure out how to scrape together a living. And, you know, he wanted, they wanted to be in the mountains. Um, you know, that's in itself is an interesting story. They did not have a lot of money. They renovated the garage of his father's business. His father was a Mason. Um, they still live in the same, in the same now chalet. Uh, their living room is the pit where they used to repair the vehicles. Uh, you know, looks like a modern sunken living room, but it's, it was not, it was not built with that intent. So um, in terms of passion, I think they're, they're right there. 
um, y- you know, um, th- there were a few other points that you made now. I think I've, I've kind of lost the thread, but, um, y- you know, they, they, um, the values of UTMB are also are informed by, you know, everything you bring to the table. And in their case, they had been organizers. They discovered parapenting. You know, the two of them uh, were were parapenting, and they started an international parapenting competition here in Chamonix. And, and parapenting grew very unpleasant for them. It became all about, you know, one-upsmanship and mm. one someone doing something better than the next person. Brands got involved in what sounded like, to me, a very corrosive way, you know, funding this. They had a lot of close friends die. Um, and they became very sort of nonplussed with, with this world. And a lot of that experience including Catherine's experience as treasurer for the Mont Blanc Marathon many, many years ago, where money was not going to the athletes, but was going to athlete managers. And um, at the time, you know, there was some some real, I think it's safe to say, not on the part of the marathon, to be clear, but on the part of athlete managers, some really unethical behavior going on. So, you know, they bring this, um, history to the table. And these are the kinds of things that inform where we are today. Um, and if, and if people know this, I think we can have a greater understanding. Um, you know, as for the whole question of where things go, I mean, look, I mean, the, you know, we decide that, (laughs) you know, it's not man or UTMB telling us what races we're going to do. It, fundamentally comes from where are you going to spend your money? I mean, let's be perfectly clear about this. Iron Man, this is a business proposition for our Iron Man, and I write about that in the book, exactly the sort of metrics they need to make the business work. Um, you, you know, so that's on us. Um, and, yeah. you know, how we, how we spend our time and what races we go to is is important. And I, And by the way, I totally agree with your point that it is – a luxurious opportunity if you're an American. I mean, I scrimped and saved before having a company that very blissfully allows me to go back and forth a few times a year. Um, although the environmental impact is, you know, not a pleasant part of it as, as despite the best we do to offset things. Um, uh, so, uh, that is a luxury and not everyone can do that. And, uh, but, you know, at the same time, you know, if I can just sort of do a quick diversion here, if you really want it, you can usually find a way to make it happen. And there's a wonderful story in the book about a person who's a dear friend of mine, Mike Ambrose, you know, Mike, and this is, I think one of the key features of UTMB is exposing trail running to so many people. You know, Mike, one day in New Jersey, saw a video of UTMB many, many years ago. The next week, he went out and he bought a pair of Solomon trail running shoes. And he took the bus across Philadelphia to go run in a park where he imagined himself in Chamonix. Well, 
you know, Mike, Mike is, is, is nothing. It's not hardworking and persistent. <laughs> and, you know, he has gone on to, you know, starting as a tech rep with Solomon went on to be product line manager in, you know, Odyssey, France, <clears throat> at the Odyssey Design Center for Solomon, designed, you know, the, uh, the Ultra Glide, you know, or shepherded it to market, one of the really successful shoes of Solomon. You know, now he's in charge of uh, North America for Killian's company, for, for Normal. So normal. if you're bitten by the bug, <laughs> you know, uh, strong enough, uh, incredible things can happen. And you can find your yeah, way here. And- yeah. And, and to that point, I have a handful of friends that have run UTMB, you know, they've made the pilgrimage and, you know, just going toward the experience that UTMB is curating, you know, in that week in, in Chamonix is like it forever changed those individuals, you know, and I've done, you know, I, I these are yeah. people I knew when I lived in California, we used to run together and like the way they talk about, uh, the experience they had, um, you know, it, you can just tell that it's like something they've never experienced before. And many of them want, at least one of them in particular is like going to go back for his third, um, his third go around, uh, around, around Mont Blanc, around the massive, like this year, you know, and that's like probably the third time he's been in, in, in six years to, to run the race. And I just, you know, I just think it kind of highlights, um, you know, just kind of what the, the fact that, um, and these are still runners, you know, for sure. So it's like, there's obviously some value besides all the hoopla of being in Chamonix that week, there's definitely a thread and some values that, that, that course, um, inspires in them and that that organization was able to kind of instill in them to make them want to go back time and time again. And you see that with the pro runners too. I mean, I think there's a lot of other things that are, uh, behind kind of that motivation for the professional athletes, but you know, it, it does speak, you know, cause there are some races I've definitely done where I'm like, that was great. I let's go see if I can't find something else to do, you know, but then I also know, um, a good friend of ours, you know, English, uh, your partner, that's That's kind of, how we got connected, but she was telling me about, um, she was telling me about a Horton race that they do in Virginia. And, She's like, I'm going to go back every single year. It was amazing. The community is amazing. And like, um, promised land, the promised land 50 K and I'm gonna have to do that race next year. But like, it kind of just goes back to that. Like you can still encompass that small event based, you know, that family oriented fun that we all exist in the community. And you can, you can attempt to scale that. And I think that's what UTMB has been doing for the last 10 years, 15 years, very successfully. Um, you know, and we'll see, you know, it's, this is like a whole new chapter for them to write for us. And, and like you mentioned, we get to vote with our feet, you know, we get to decide who we want to support. And I think there's a place to support your mom and pop races. I think there's a, a place to support Air Viper and what Jamil's doing in America. Um, and there's also a place to support, um, what UTMB and Ironman are doing, depending on what kind of experience you want to curate for yourself. So. Yeah. And, you know, I would say one of the things that you touched on early there is this sort of you know, spirit of the event. And one thing that I feel often gets overlooked in this is the role that Catherine has here, who, who, by the way, was one of the first, you know, women uh, race directors in the Alps, um, you know, many, many years ago. Uh, You you know, we tend to gravitate and talk to about Michelle because he's 
out there on the trail and it's, you know, the person that we immediately relate to because we know we, we share, we share values with, with someone who's done that many, that many ultras and runs every day. Um, but, you know, Catherine has a, ba- a wonderful background in uh, art and performance and, and in addition, a certain amount of sport before, you know, developing some long-term injuries that sort of took her out. Um, and, you know, one of the things that I, I would say she is really the driving force behind this is that they do very well is to celebrate the mid-pack runner. So when we think of UTMB, we see, you know, we see the dramatic finishes that many of us know, you know, Killian and Matthew Blanchard and, you know, Tolleson smiling into the crowd from some years ago and Courtney and Rory and, you know, on and on. Um, But they make a concerted effort and are very successful at celebrating the person who's finishing, you know, 1,000th. And, you know, from a long time ago, they celebrate the very last runner that they call the the Lantern lantern Rouge, like the red light at the back of the caboose on a train. And That's awesome. And that runner stage after 46 and a half hours with during the, the award ceremony has been ta- in the past has been timed around the last finisher. So if you can imagine, oftentimes it's very entertaining. You know, this person has now run through Friday night and Saturday night and it's Sunday late afternoon. And, and all of a sudden they're on stage with, you know, Killian and Francois Den and Courtney and whomever else, uh, um, you know, or Katie Scheid. And it's, um, you know, they, they do a very good job of creating a real spectacle and celebrating people. Um, so I think that's not, not to be lost in all of this. As for the question of, of scaling, that's very much on everybody's mind. One of the last conversations yeah. I had with Michelle was on this very topic. And, you know, I think we have to say this is like one of the great question marks of, of companies as they grow right, is how do you stay true to your roots? And, um, you, you know, we talk, I have a chapter in the book called The the Arret, uh, you know, where you have values on one side and growth on the other, and you're trying to, it's an apt metaphor because here in Chamonix, we're surrounded by, by Arets, um, and you know, your job is to move forward and not, you know, and not fall. Uh, so th- they do a very good job, the race does, in my opinion. Uh, th- they make a very concerted effort to they take a pause after UTMB week and they dissect what just happened. And they're very methodical in terms of identifying where they're maybe veering off course and what they did well, what they didn't do well, um, you know, they they identify things that maybe don't feel true to their spirit. You know, I've heard different specific examples over the years, and they drop those. So they very much want it not to just be an international race, but to be 
an international race with with Alps DNA. And if you run UTMB these days, you get that. You know, it passes through a lot of villages in three different countries where people are coming out of their chalets and, you know, cheering. And you can you can be at Col de la Seine running running around cows, you know, uh, you know, by yourself in the middle of the night. So there are still very much elements there that are, um, you know, part of the DNA of the, of, of the race. So, yeah. And I think just the, the ability to kind of have, you know, and that's a, it's a European thing, but like, you're going to run a hundred miles around the, you know, Mount Blanc Massif, right? You're going to cross through three countries. You're going to run through countless little villages and the people are going to come out to support you because, you know, endurance is in their DNA, but like, you just don't have that kind of experience. And I mean, like, I think the closest thing you can get to that is maybe like hard rock and how they kind of circle around the San Juans and you kind of run into these small little mountain towns. And when you're in those towns, that's kind of where they have these aid state, you know, some of the aid stations are out there, you know, on the course, just like at UTMB. But for the most part, a lot of times, like you're running into these tiny little villages and you're kind of experiencing just a little taste of that village. It's kind of a, it's a, it's a big drive by, but it's kind of like, you're very much breaking up this long, crazy climbs and, and ridiculous descents. And then you run through this tiny little, like we would call it a one stop sign, one stop sign town in America. And then you're off back off to the races. And like, you know, you just don't, that just doesn't exist in America. And I think the passion that the, that the, the villagers that live in, in, in the, in the small towns and the small villages have uh, to come out and support the racers is, is definitely something that's very, very unique and, and very European too. So. And, you know, it's particularly powerful in this region where, you know, the, uh, everyone is, as they would say here, très, très sportif. You know, it's, it's a super active outdoors world here. And so uh, you don't have to explain UTMB to anyone in this region. Like, totally. They probably have had a relative do it if they themselves have not done it they, or been a volunteer. They can talk about it, you know, because it's a mainstream sport, they can talk about it the way Americans talk about baseball, you know, just about, you know, they can talk about Killian's interest score. It's, it's pretty crazy. And when you go out running every day here, you know, you pass other trail runners and, and they're not hardcore like we would see, um, you know, at, at the finish line for the top finishers, you know, they're often, you know, like the rest of us, mid-pack runners, but they're putting on a vest and trail running shoes and grabbing their trail running poles and, and going out. And if they're, if they're hiking, they're stepping to the side of the trail and they're, they're yelling, you know, alle alle uh, to you and trying to encourage you upward on, on some inevitably long climb. <laughs> Yeah, I think that's something we also don't get a lot of in the U.S. is crazy long climbs and crazy long descents. So um, something you definitely have to find yeah. if you're going to train for UTMB. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, some. Oh, sorry, go ahead. You were going to say something, Doug? I was going to say, we. this is maybe our most common question at, at Run the Alps for people coming on a trip. Say, uh, I mean, it's, it's an inside joke here. They'll, they'll say, like, well, what pace do you run at? And we're like, pace like uh, I have no idea. <laughs> yeah right. 
you know, are we, you know, we, we hike uphill, we fast hike uphill, we jog on the flats and we run down, you know, yeah. you know, so, yeah. pay, so it, it's a very different world here in terms of trail, trail well, running. What's your gap, man? What's your great adjusted pace out there, uh, Doug, you know, like it's, a, that's a, that's also probably a very like, uh, American and, and Strava centric thing to ask as well. Right. Cause like, I think, um, we definitely, I mean, I imagine you guys have it in Europe too, but a lot of us, you know, a lot of us are data geeks. And so, um, you know, people kind of want to know, like, how can I, wh- how can I like, h- how can I take, like, how can I figure out how I'm going to do right? Like, as far as like, if you're competitive or, or how, or, or what's your pace going to be when you're out there. And I think that's probably an yeah. eye opening experience for them when, when they book a tour with run the Alps as they come out and they're like, Oh, wait a minute. Like this is really just about the experience at this. It doesn't matter how fast you are, how slow you are, how quickly you get up the hill or how quickly you get down the mountain. Um, it really just turns into, uh, kind of taking it all in and and realizing that you're in this, like you're, you're almost in a, you're in a, a paradox. You're in this place that, that only exists for that moment for you in that time when, when someone gets to kind of experience that. I think that's, that's really cool. That's yeah, man. I'm, yeah. I, I'm going to start, I'm going to start saving my pennies, Doug. I'm coming out to sham. I'm going to have to make it. So, um, yeah, I, I, a little bit, a little about the book and something I really liked was just kind of the structure and the layout. And I think you've done a really good job of, you know, creating an arc through the book, but you know, something that I think the listeners, um, are really going to be, is really insightful for the listeners is like, there's over, there's like 14, uh, I don't say interviews, but like contributions from, um, professional athletes and how they talk about different aspects, um, different aspects of the race and the things that have really like touched them and impact them. You know, I think the book does a really good job of kind of like highlighting that last third 20 K of the 2022 finish with, uh, Killian and, and, and Matthew, um, which I watched, you know, I was like glued to the, to, to the live stream and then getting to kind of hear the, the back kind of the, the, the back and forth that kind of transpired between those two. And, you know, I think something that, that I loved was just like, you can, and I know you mentioned a lot of, of Killian's con- contributions, but like, you know, he, that was like his probably, I, I would argue to say it's probably his favorite race, it, especially UTMB, but like, he was like, man, I'm, we're racing. Like, it's not, you know, I think he, he mentioned it. Like I wasn't managing the gaps. Like I was having to be very strategic about how I raced uh, this competitor and, you know, I think really pushed, uh, Killian to the well in a way that I don't think he, he really has had the opportunity to race in, 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 in probably a decade. And I think that was I, I articulated in two different sections in the book. I thought that was great. Um, but I, I mean, a couple of the other things too, I just want to mention, um, you know, you've got contributions from like Chrissy, uh, Mo, Moel, um, I, I never pronounce her name right, but you know, she was the first female finisher and, you know, kind of, I don't know if you want to talk toward the first event, but also just kind of talk to like her, that her experience. And we're talking about like the early aughts of coming over and, and, and really having to test herself in the mountains. Um, you know, I don't know if you want to speak to that. Yeah. I, I look, I mean, we think of UTMB as inevitable, but it did not have to happen. And in fact, were it not for um, the Palettis and 
a certain 92-year-old who's in town here, Rennie Bachelard, who we really have in many ways Rennie to thank for UTMB, who, you know, there had been a series of races before. They were different kinds of races. They were more pavement, more focused on elite runners. They were stage races, uh, not what we think of as UTMB. And for various reasons, they sort of faded away. Uh, um, and Rennie advocated, Rennie was the head of CMBM, the local trail running club, which is you know, one of the largest in the world. You know, part of it myself has 250 members and you know, professional coaching and all kinds of amazing stuff available to you. Um, you know, Rennie said, Rennie kept pestering. It's a wonderful story in the book. Kept pestering, you know, Michelle when he would see him in town saying, look, we got to have a meeting. We got to bring this thing back. And Michelle's point was, I believe his, his quote was, if we bring it back, it's got to have more trail and less pavement. Uh, that was his motto. Um, and it was not at all clear how it was going to happen. For example, the section, those of us, those who know the course, the section from uh, Bertoni near Cormier to Benati, that section of trail didn't even exist 20 years ago. Um, so Michelle scouted routes and pieced things together in his free time, you know, pretty, uh, you know, endlessly. And, you know, Catherine worked you know, for over the course of a year, trying to build up interest in the race, building an early website, uh, you know, and I mean, the, the story of the first year and then what happened afterwards is pretty, pretty remarkable. Um, and the first year, France that year had had an enormous heat wave uh, all summer long, temperatures over 100 Fahrenheit consistently. And you know, a young Chrissy Meal looked at the weather forecast for France and saw that, and she packed very lightly. Um, and um, and two days before the race, the weather changed. And not only did it change, it changed severely. They got uh, snow over 2,000 meters here. They got wind. They got driving rain, high winds. And it wasn't at all clear what was going to happen. So they set up three different finishes. You could finish your race at Cormier and take a result. You could finish in Champelac and take a result. Or you could be one of the ones who wanted to try the whole loop <coughs> and go all the way back to Chamonix. And, and you know, 700 and some odd, 770 or so started, which it itself they expected a couple hundred. That's a, that's a um, mind, that's a mind boggling number of participants for inaugural event, at least for me to co try to comprehend it, 20 years ago, you know? So. Yeah. It, it points to a couple of things in my mind. I mean, whatever you again, want to say about the race, the course is amazing. Um, you know, you're going around the high point of Western Europe. The scenery is jaw dropping. You're passing through three countries I mean, it's, it's pretty damn incredible. Um, and, and then, and to that, they brought their experience as international, you know, event organizers with the parapenting event they had done before. 
and a lot of hard work. I do think of them as sort of American-style entrepreneurs. I mean, they they hustle. You know, they are working weekends and and nights and have been doing that for 20 years now. Um, so, uh, but then you have this storm that comes and, and it was crazy. And, you know, uh, and some people like Chrissy pushed on and on and on. And uh, she says, you know, she was hammered hard like pretty badly injured coming back into Chamonix and there's, and they actually modified slightly the course that year. And it was a modification that stuck. Those of us, those who know the area, they were going to go over call the four. Um, instead they went down to Le Chapia and up the Valley and that stuck, um, for future years. But I mean, there's some wonderful stories in there of, you know, Chrissy, Chrissy is in Trion, Switzerland with, I don't know, maybe a quarter of the distance to go. She knows there's a snowstorm happening up high. She's obviously concerned about, you know, being already pretty beaten up and not having enough warm gear. So she borrows some gear from somebody and she sees this guy who's also like getting warm and taking a break and says, are you going on? And he says, yeah. And, and they decide to team up. Well, that was Michelle Paletti. <laughs> uh, they didn't know each other. You know, one of the, you know, someone who became one of the U.S.'s, you know, standout ultra runners uh, happened to finish the race with one of the, one of the race founders. Um, and, uh, you know, there's just a lot of wonderful stories like that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, in that first. Yeah, and that's crazy. I mean, I imagine the conditions is also informed like what the guidelines for mandatory gear turned into, um, kind of why they make you, you know, basically carry your weight in 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 gear on your back to to run around the the massive. But you know, I think it's and it's something, you know, in the book, you know, Chrissy highlights, she's like, you know, I showed up, it's dark, we're about to start this race. There's seven hundred other people, and she's like, she I think the to, I'm paraphrasing, but in the book, it, she basically is like, this is, this was, de-, she knew right off the rip, this was definitely not going to be your run of the mill, you know, American ultra experience. Like she was already kind of mind blown before she had even started the race. And obviously it turned into, you know, what is arguably, what was arguably one of the hardest years to kind of run the race. Um, I think they've had other like winter years. I know there was a yeah. year that they actually stopped the course. Um, they stopped the race in the middle of course, but you know, it, it's very unpredict- un- unpredictable out there. And it's, uh, man, I don't want to say serendipity again, but just the fact that she runs into to Michelle Paletti uh, with, you know, 25 miles to go and, and they run it in together. That's just kind of, I mean, that's, yeah, you, you can't, you can't write that, you know what I mean? Like that's, that, that's, you can't write that into a Hollywood movie script, you know, that's just kind of, um, that's, yeah, there, there's, that's trail. There's, there's a lot like that from that first edition and, and subsequent editions. I mean, you know, I, I, and I dug into a lot of the controversies too, because I just wanted to understand, you know, Killian in, in 2008 got, got a penalty for yeah. um being paced and to this day um 
you know, they respectfully disagree. And I would say, you know, Killian and the Pilates, you know, respect each other. And, and, um, uh, they just disagree about what happened. Uh, um, you know, so I, I sort of dig into that story a little bit. Um, and, uh, I know know, that he, I was going to say, I know that he, that he definitely changed the rule. They, they were very explicit after that year on what mandatory gear actually meant. Cause I think Killian, um, you know, read the rules, understood the rules and, uh, the minimalist that he is just kind of like pared down everything to the bare, bare, bare essentials. And, and, you know, I think that, um, yeah. you know, they created some contra. I mean, he was, he was already, he like jumped on the scene as a very controversial figure, um, for that race in particular. And, and I think the, the audience would really get a kick out of reading that, that section, but I mean, everything down to like, he took his emergency blanket and trimmed it down to what, 10 centimeters by 10 centimeters. And like, you know, you're pulling out a handkerchief that's supposed to be your emergency blanket at that point. And, um, but that's also because he understood, he read the rules and he was like, Oh, wait a minute. There's there's something that says it just says an emergency blanket. It doesn't say what size this has to be. I don't need to carry this. I can just carry a handkerchief of my lard. Let's just do that. You know, don't forget, you know, Killian is a guy who started trail running as training for, for, for skimo races, you know, for, yeah. for ski out. And in that world to this day here, y- you see where you can save a gram here and a gram there. And you do that. Um, so that's the mindset that he came at it with. It wasn't like, um, you know, he's a wonderful and highly ethical guy. Um, so, you know, the, and I think this, the schema race attitude is like, okay, what's the bare minimum, you know, we're going to do that. Cause if I can save 30 or 40 or 50 grams, it's going to make a difference on 4,000 meters of uphill climbing in a big schema race. Um, totally. So, uh, and it was Catherine who inspected his gear and, and she was the first to say, and this is in the book, you know, it's like, you, you're totally good to go. You know, the, the, um, unintended consequence, uh, again, the stories are in there, um, is that he was running with like, um, what would you call it? Like a banana belt, right? Like not yeah. a vest or a pack, but just this little, uh, belt with his stuff in it. So he got stopped by race officials, something like seven or eight times. And as they'd say over here, controlled, um, you know, asked to, you know, show me your emergency blanket, show me your this, show me your that. So that <laughs> obviously cost him some time. And and you can bet that the following year, uh, the the race organization, you know, uh, spelled out in much greater detail exactly what people were supposed to have. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, and you know, a couple other stories that I really like. I mean, I remember, I remember seeing, I remember seeing the images on Ultra Runner magazine. I remember. I'm not sure. I believe this was one of the first years of the live stream. I can't remember. I can't recall if I like saw a video of it or if I saw it live. But, but you know, Rory Bozio's course record performance and finish. Um, you know, I still remember, and I get goosebumps like thinking about it, like when she crosses the finish line and she turns and she crosses her legs and bows to the crowd. And just like that, there's just like this, and it's the shot is from behind her and it's just like the crowd is going crazy. And, 
you know, she, she put on a performance on the day and to be honest, she's only, it's only been topped by Courtney by all of seven minutes. Right. And I think, um, I know that, you know, I know that that was a defining moment in the sport for UTMB. Um, and I know that, you know, and you talk, you mentioned in the book, like Rory was very outspoken about, um, you know, we don't have to go into too much detail, but just the way that the podium was structured at that time. Um, and, and I think, you know, from an American audience, I think we look at it and going like, what were they thinking only allowing five females on the podium when you have 10 males? Um, and it goes back to what you were saying, like the plays are very critical and, but they're not, they're critical of themselves, but they're not opposed to taking criticism from individuals about the race. And I think that's uh, it's a very telling, telling story that you could you dive into into the book. So in the book, I think it's a very illustrative example. And, and here's why, like, you know, I, I came here with my American sensibilities um, and, and I saw that and I heard that, you know, that there were five women on the podium, 10 men, and, you know, look, I mean, fundamentally, I think it's wrong. You know, let's be perfectly clear, you know. Um, but I was like, you know, I was, I was I was indignant about it. And when I asked about it, I think, you know, you get, um, you know, I still disagree with it. And it's been fixed, obviously. And it was Rory we have to credit for that in large part. Uh, you know, Rory and Catherine had a close enough, you know, connection and Rory, you know, Rory stood up for something that was, was wrong. Um, but, you know, what, what you can do is wrap this with context of the culture. And at the time of UTMB's beginning um, and continuing for a number of years, a podium of this kind was, was very much the norm in, in Europe. Now, that's not to say it's right. You know, it's, it's for my American sensibility, I find it like wrong, just wrong, <laughs> you know, yeah, for all kinds of reasons. But, but um, you know, but you, but the, and the thinking to explain the background thinking just briefly, it was that, and again, I'm not agreeing with this, but I'm trying to understand it. Um, the thinking was that if you go at the time, 15 years ago, say, if you went 10 deep in the women runners, you would get a recreational, quote unquote, recreational runner, you know, finishing UTMB on, on the podium. And that the podium, you know, European races are very performance oriented, all about like there's a big emphasis on having a uh, strong performance, like I would say more so than in the U S. Um, and, and that felt, as I understand it, that felt wrong to them that, that because of the tremendous disparity, which is itself a whole nother issue, all kinds of reasons women are getting blocked and still are getting blocked. Right. Um, uh, from participating in equal numbers and having equal amounts of time to train, you know, Corinne Malcolm does a wonderful job of talking about this. Um, you know, and they, you can, um, you can, you can fault them for not having the foresight that that was wrong, I suppose, you know, and, and we all wish they had changed sooner, 
And I, I wish it hadn't have taken Rory like putting her foot down and saying, I'm not coming back. You've got to fix this. Uh, you know, but that's what it took. Sometimes I think the, the race is slow to respond, slow to react. Um, uh, you, you know, but, but there is some context there which gets lost in all of the heat. Um, yeah. I think the, the, best, the best metaphor, I just want to, in a wonderful interview with, with Stephanie Case, who said, and I, I think, you know, maybe this gets at some of the differences between European running and, and U.S. race directing. She said, you know, you can be a window or you can be a door. Uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can be a mirror or you can be a door. And, and if you're a mirror, your organization, whatever it is you're doing, is just, you know, reflecting society. Yeah, it's very status quo, right? Well, that's not, right. That's not, not really progress in, a, in, in, in some important social ways, right? Um, or you can be a door to something I think we all would agree is, is better and fairer, like, you know, you know, adjusting for past inequalities, supporting people who have been disenfranchised, doing your best to be inclusive. Um, and, you know, and I think for many years, they were just reflecting the environment around them. Do I wish it was otherwise? Absolutely, you know. But um, uh, it's easier to understand when you know some of the history. Yeah. Uh, the same goes for, for the prize money, by the way, you know. And, and Catherine, as treasurer of the marathon many years ago, having, you know, they would have the prize awards for the top runners. And um, the way she tells it, race uh, the athlete managers. And at this period, it was a lot of Eastern European, Eastern Afri East African runners um, would, the athlete managers would, walk over to Catherine and essentially say, you make that check out to me. And in her mind, you know, she knew exactly what was going on, right? It was, it was exploitation. And they didn't want to have anything to do with that if they were going to be behind an event. So, you know, the consequences it takes in this case, people like Tim Tolson and others to say, you know, with all due respect, that's an antiquated model, right? You, yeah. you, you have runners training all year long for UTMB who need to come up with financial support. So, yeah, uh, and, you know, and, and yeah, go ahead. I was going to say, and I just think it just comes back to, um, you know, just having that conversation, right? I think in general, you know, you kind of don't, you, context is really important, but like, if you're not willing as the individual, um, that is in a, in a position to make change to confront what you see is, is kind of wrong and help to guide in a constructive way, like how you want to see, uh, an organization act and how you want to see the values, um, that are kind of, uh, growing in the sport. Uh, you know, it, it's really hard to get people to come out of the, like in Michelle and, and Catherine's uh, circumstance, you know, they, they are grounded in a belief system because of their past experience. And it, and it took individuals to step up and say, Hey, 
why is it like this? And then when they heard the reasons why, they're like, okay, I understand which I understand what you're trying to do here, but let's have a conversation about why we should change that and why uh, the sport is, is maturing and, or um, why that's just wrong in general and and not the right uh, way for, for you guys to be looking at that. And I think that kind of shows, I don't want to say maturity, but it just shows that like, there are definitely a lot of values there. It, it, I also say, and just from my own personal experience of living in Europe, living in Europe, like Europe is kind of, Late, and I want to say laid back, but like they they approach things from a much slower viewpoint and standpoint, and they're not, you know, they're not built on a culture of like making rapid change quickly. They really want to be thoughtful about the change that they make, and I think that's probably there's probably a cultural aspect behind why it, it kind of takes. You know, UTMB, you can look at it as like a Titanic. You know, it's a big, big organization now. So it can take some time for it to want to make change. Um, but I think, you know, kind of you, I know we're highlighting a lot of uh, what some very strong female females in our sport have done to kind of make change in, you know, UTMB as an organization help with the sport. And, you know, they say you stand on the shoulder of giants. And I think Corinne has done a really good job of like being a part of like adding to that. Right. And saying, you know, where Chrissy has started and where Rory has stepped up and where others, you know, t- like you in- like you said, Tim, um, I think Corinne has been a very positive, but constructive voice in, um, helping to guide UTMB into making some of the right decisions for athletes. Um, you know, and I think that's come out, you know, with what Killian's doing with the, um, trail runner association. Like I know Corinne wasn't a part of the, yeah. Pro trail runner association. I know Corinne wasn't a part of that conversation, but man, if that organization didn't sit down with UTMB and now UTMB, in my opinion, has one of the best pregnancy deferrals for partners and mothers that I've ever seen. And I've like, I applaud them for, for that. Um, and they're definitely setting the table for, you know, what, it should look like, um, if you're an expecting mother or an expecting partner of, of, of a parent, uh, or becoming a parent. Um, but I also think Corinne's done a really excellent job of like elevating her voice as part of the UTMB live stream. And it wouldn't be the same without her on it every single year, but I think also really diving into like, it's kind of UTMB's like anti-doping, um, policy for lack of a better word and, and trying to like advocate for the safety of, of pro runners, uh, and their careers. And I think that's something that she's been, she's been very vocal about, but I think it just shows like, if you're yeah. willing to have the conversations that, that UTMB is willing to listen. So. Yeah. I mean, I think, do I wish they were more proactive more quickly? I mean, my American sensibility and my, my own politics say absolutely. Yes. Um, do I, am I frustrated that some things haven't happened sooner? Like totally. And I, you know, I'm, I don't think I'm any kind of apologist for the race. I mean, there's a whole chapter in here that, um, you know, I'm fairly critical of the race and in some, what I think are, you know, honest ways. Um, and, um, you know, but I was able to get all these interviews because I, I think, at least this is sort of, you know, what I was told is that, um, you know, I'm just curious. And so when you're just curious and you don't have an agenda, I I mean, I'm literally just curious, you know, like, you know, I, 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 there's things about UTMB I absolutely love. There are things about it that 
I, you know, don't particularly care for. I'm a Shalmany local now, so it's exciting when it starts, and we all breathe a huge sigh of relief when it goes. Um, I, I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. It's it's like any enormous event that comes to your small town, right? Um, so um, I think uh, you know we had an editorial agreement going into this book that um, they would not try to steer the content. And I would have total editorial autonomy, but they would also re and, and total access, which I got to the point where it became a running joke. You know, it's like, I mean, hours and hours and hours with them going over topics, um, you know, a very, uh, I would say we had some fairly profound discussions. You know, the question about Iron Man is, is, is one of those, um, you know, and, and in the course of just talking and listening, you, you, you get some very interesting results. I mean, one thing that came out um, from that dis- series of discussions was that Iron Man was going to do a World Series with or without UTMB. So the choice the trail running um, world had, uh, or the Pilates had, is and and the UTMB organization was, um, you know, do they want to go head to head with Ironman launching global, a global series of races, or do they want to partner with them? And, you know, from my own take on that is I'd rather have someone steering, helping steer the ship who has run 85 ultras and whose first brochure included a statement of values than a business who they will themselves say is, you know, um, a business (laughs) that reports to shareholders. Um, You know, so that's the choice we were facing. And by the way, they got courted by, you know, when it was clear that um, some sort of international series was going to be developing, there were other partners, um, you know, including Spartan, which very heavily courted UTMB and uh, um, and and values played a big role in that decision. We just leave it at that. Yeah. And I, I kind of agree with you. I would much rather have a shepherd than to leave the culture to the wolves, you know, and I think that's, and I hate to use that kind of analogy, but like you said, you know, Iron Man, I think it's seven hundred million dollar business, right? They are in they they are a a they are a machine that is in the events organization they're in the events landscape, but they're a machine that's built to drive revenue and drive profits, right? And I think um mm-hmm. you know, I think Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I would, it's kind of like the lesser of, I don't want to say the lesser of two evils, but you know, when you look at what the, what the Paletti's goals are for UTMB. And if you think about uh, kind of the entrepreneurial journey, um, you know, from an entrepreneurial standpoint, like they don't necessarily wanted an exit, but they wanted to create legacy. And they also have this goal of, you know, keeping UTMB at the pinnacle of the sport. Um, And I will tell you from as a businessman, like I'm not if if I'm the Pilates, I don't want to go up against Iron Man. You know, be, better better to to guide the process and be a part of creating something with them than to try to uh, battle head to head with an organization that, um, it you know ultimately is it's 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 going to be hard to win that fight. So 
And, you know, there's a backstory here, too, that we have to acknowledge, which is that, you know, in the course of writing uh, probably now, what, about a year and a half ago about that, um, you know, you know, merger. And and by the way, um, Iron Man didn't didn't buy Iron Man only bought 5% of UTMB, the other shares, the other 40% they bought from group telegram. Um, this is a side story that nobody really paid attention to, um, that I found out through some, some research. Um, but, uh, in the course of that research, writing those articles at the time for trail runner, I talked to, um, you know, private equity types, you know, admittedly not my space but one thing and i talked to a number of people who were watching trail running um and, and the thing that they said was that trail running now has three things that large investors look for it has a desirable demographic it has a critical mass the numbers are big enough um and it has a trajectory that is is of interest to you know, capitalists. Um, so uh, there's money flowing in, you know, and it's up to us. Uh, you know, I mean, the best I think we can hope for is that these large entities have have some kind of voice within them that, um, you know, is driven by the soul. And anyone who knows Michelle um, knows that, he is passionate about trail running the best. If I can just uh, tell him one of my favorite Michelle stories. Sure. <clears throat> um, you, you know, this will be short, but it's, I think it's, you know, pretty illustrative. Um, the first time I ran TDS, uh, I, I was relatively new here as many years ago. And I just interviewed the Palettis for trail runner magazine. And, uh, you know, the period I was very much in awe of it all, you know, as a new, newly arrived American, fresh off the boat. Uh, and, and, um, I, and at the first second aid station in Lac Cambal on, on the TDS course, uh, I just interviewed the Pilates maybe the week before I caught Michelle's eye. I saw Michelle in the corner far back bringing water to the volunteers who were then helping out the runners. And he came over and I, I said, I was shocked that, you know, Michelle, there are 2000 runners in this race. Like, what are you doing here? You know, you're the co you're the technical director of this race. Like, shouldn't you be in a helicopter? <laughs> you know, or I don't know, you know? And, and he said, he said, you know, this is um, exactly where I want to be. Mm. Uh, you know, helping out the volunteers um, in the background, perfectly happy not being noticed, um, you know, and just loving being part of of, of the, the volunteer scene and helping out those taking part. So when you catch people in moments when the camera's not on them and someone's not writing and you see their true selves, I think those are special moments. And, and I see when you live in Chamonix, you see a lot of that. Um, you know, I see Michelle out, you know, running and, you know, skiing in the winter and, uh, and everyone else here. And, and you come to understand them as 
well-rounded people with their own faults and interests and, and their own values. Um, so a lot of that gets lost in all the static, uh, but it's nice to be able to share an anecdote like that, that yeah. maybe humanizes them. A bit. Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, obviously where he wants to be is, is doing the work, right? Like there's, there's just something to be said about, um, wanting to kind of roll up your sleeves and, and be a part of what you've created as well, as opposed to it's pretty easy yeah. to stand on the outside or sit in the control room and, and kind of point, you know, it's another thing to, to get there and chop wood and carry water, you know? So. Yeah, exactly. Then that, and that's what he wanted to be doing, you know, and, and, you know, the point should be made too, that if they wanted to cash out, they could have done that a long time ago and for pretty good money. Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's not about some grand scheme exit strategy because the whole deal was encumbered for years with Iron Man because they insisted that the family retain control, um, you know, and, and, um, and eventually, eventually they came to terms on that, you know, Iron Man did, uh, you know, and that's not the behavior of, uh, uh, you know, of, of, of a capitalist. That's a behavior of someone who, you know, is passionate about what they've started and wants to pass it on to the next generation. Yeah, now, very, what very... happens next? <laughs> you know, yeah, we're we're kind of right. The 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 next chapter is kind of writing itself as as we speak, right? Um, Absolutely. Yeah. Well, Doug, yeah, this, this is, this has been an yeah. amazing conversation and, you know, as, as we kind of wrap it up, I mean, is there anything in particular, um, that you want to highlight or mention, um, you know, before I let you go, I know it's late in, in Chamonix right now, and I, I definitely appreciate you carving out the time to, to record with me. So, um, well, I did make some notes here. Um, so I'll, I'll take a glance at those. I mean, I think, um, uh, I think maybe there are a few thoughts do come to mind. You know, one is that a lot of the angst and stress and concern is understandable. Um, look, this is something we're deeply passionate about. So uh, when that feels even just a little bit threatened, the culture that we like, whether that's it's threatened or not, the reaction is understandable. I, I I get it, you know. I I've I've had some of those same feelings myself over the years. Um, will the worst case come true? I don't I don't really think so. I think the last year has sort of borne a lot of that out. Will it be perfect? And to my values, no. But you know, we each have to make our own choice about you know what we want to do. And and by the way, you know, we can do it all. You know, if, if, if we're lucky enough to afford it and have the time free and not get injured and get the running stones, uh, you know, um, it's possible to run races with 100 people and, and do UTMB at some point in your life. Yep. Um, so I don't I think we should not be thinking of it as a zero sum game. And, and then just the only other thing uh, that maybe one point we haven't quite touched on is is that I think UTMB and UTMB Live and, and UTMB TV, the data on that is really incredible. You know, millions of people watch it. And I think if you're if you love something, you want to share it, right? 
And I, I think you have to say that um, there's plenty of evidence to support this, um, that, um, you know, n- no event in the world has brought more people to trail running than UTMB. You know, we talked a little bit about Mike Ambrose, but I, I was privy to some research data from a shoe company um, that showed the spike in searches on ultra running in late August on, on Google, you know, people are getting drawn into it. And, and I think that's a good thing, you know, unless we're going to jealously guard our little sport and not allow anyone else in, you know, which I I think is small human behavior. um, You know, we should be welcoming people and, and it's a long-winded way of saying UTMB is extremely good at this, and and therefore we have to care about what happens to UTMB because uh, it, it really, in many ways, is very much powering, um, you know, the the development of of trail running and the you know bringing in of of new people to the sport. So. Um, so there we go. And look where it goes. Who knows? We're on an interesting ride here, right? Yeah. Uh, I love watching it, uh, but I also love going out with my dog every uh, end of the day and just running in, in the mountains here. So that and that will always be there for all of us, right? Yep, agreed, one hundred percent. You know, like I said, there's always going to be a fifty person trail race um, somewhere close to to everyone watching uh, watching and or listening to this. And, you know, there's going to be amazing events. If you want to go, you know, be a part of the community at whole, like getting together and celebrating and the camaraderie of a large scale event, you know, UTMB is going to do it better than anyone else. So, um, you know, you know, Doug, I, like, I, like I said, I appreciate you carving out the time to, to chat with myself and, and ultimately for the audience, um, and for, for everyone out there who's still, who's still listening, you know, the book, the race to change running the inside story of UTMB. Um, where can, where, where can people pick up a copy? Um, all around the world. Uh, cool. it's, um, pre-order up until, um, June 13th. And then it ships, uh, whether you're in the U S or Europe, um, uh, it's out, uh, I just got the French French edition for those who nice. for those who French <laughs> um, that obviously mostly for sale here and here in the Alps. Uh, but the U.S. edition is you know the publisher Helvetique they have uh, extensive U.S. distribution. It, it'll be you know any bookstore that wants it and all the usual places you know um, uh, book, bookshop.org and uh, Amazon.com and uh, all those places. Cool. So, and, yeah. and for the audience, if anyone wants to connect, uh, with Doug, um, after they get their copy and, and talk through it with you, uh, is there any place, uh, where you're the most active on social channels or, or are you, uh, one of those, uh, fortunate individuals that, um, do is not active on social media? Um, I am somewhere in the love, hate relationship, but I'm on Instagram and on Facebook and, um, and they can always find a lot of stuff I'm writing on on runthealps.com uh, and the Run the Alps newsletter. Uh, if you want to catch a glimpse, whether whether you come on a trip or not, uh, a key goal of ours is to share 
the world of trail running here. So, you know, run the Alps is a good, good place. Uh, I'm a little bit biased there, but, uh, it's a nice place to go to get a sense of the vibe over here. As you should be biased. And, um, you know, thanks for providing these opportunities for us and we'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. And, uh, and again, Doug, yeah, thank you. Thanks very much for, for putting this in. Um, writing a book is, is hard. It's not easy. And, uh, I definitely appreciate the time and energy that you put into this. It shows. So thank you so much. Thanks for tuning in. What'd you think of the show? Follow us on IG at the Midpacker Pod and leave us a comment on our post for this show or drop me a DM. If you appreciate this content, please think about giving us a rating and review on whatever platform you are listening on. It really does help out. And if you are interested in supporting any of our sponsors, you can find links and codes in the show notes. See you next time, friends, on the Midpacker Podcast. Podcast.